Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well this morning in the praise of, of God and his glory. Um, this morning, Paul Phillips is not going to be preaching, uh, and I'm not going to be preaching either. We have a guest in our house um, today. His name is Nate Stratman. He's sitting right here in the front. Um, and Nate Stratman, I remember him about a dozen years ago when he was in Wilmington. He was a youth pastor at one of the local churches here. And we were in a, a youth pastor um, network meeting. We had lunch together every month. And I remember uh, Nate was always one of the most lively. He was always one of the most passionate for teenagers. And um, he always spoke his mind. He always told you exactly what he thought. And he had boldness. And I, I so appreciated that. But then I remember the day when he said, um, a new passion has stirred in my heart. And that was for parents and families. Not just the teenagers, but their whole families. And uh, I remember that really uh, that really impacted me because it was the first year in, that I was in ministry here at Christ Community Church. So thank you for that. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but that was really helpful to me personally. Um, Nate then um, went outside of God's will into Colorado Springs where I don't know why he went there, but he went there for a number of years. Um, and then he came back in 2016, and he and his wife, Kim, started uh, Hope Community Church here in Wilmington. They have two daughters uh, and uh, they have a great family. And we are, uh, Christ Community welcomes you. You're a trusted friend, and we're excited to hear uh, what God has laid on your heart for us this morning. Um, he is going to be preaching out of 1 Corinthians, so if you take your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to read the passage that Nate will be focusing on for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. You can take one home with you if you'd like. But there's right there in the pew, the blue Bibles, it's on page 938. Um, So you can turn there and you can stand, if you would, for the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 17, we're going to go through verse 26. It says this, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We may be seated. The title of the sermon is The Clear and Confusing People of God. (laughs) Isn't that appropriate? Let's take a couple moments and reflect on God's word before we hear from him. Good morning. morning. Um, I appreciate all the words that David said. And um, 
I would love to say a couple of things just before we get into that text, and you're probably wondering with the title of my sermon, what in the world am I going to be talking about? But uh, I really am grateful for the friendship of Paul Phillips um, and many people in this church. I have a lot of friends in this church. And uh, one of the things I was remembering is when I moved to town, I was 22 years old, out of college. Uh, I was a, a brand new youth pastor. And one of my uh, goals, my agenda, was to meet a Christian girl. Um, and so... I knew that Paul Phillips was the air director of Young Life. I thought, what a great place to meet Christian girls. So I acted like I wanted to help with Young Life um, so I could get close and meet a Christian girl. And there was one I kind of had my eyes on. And I remember as I had my eyes on her, Paul had his eyes on me of kind of like, watch out, buddy. Um, I will say I won the battle and I married one of his volunteers, Kim, uh, who was volunteering in Young Life. Um, but I always, uh, you know, one of the things Paul will tell, to me, uh, tell me, and we meet in a pastor's group together, he always reminds me every time I see him that in my marriage that I got the better end of the deal. Um, he, he loves my wife a lot and very thankful for her. and just reminds me that I married um, a really great woman, and I did. We have two daughters and have come back here to plant a church, and I never wanted to be a lead pastor. I really honestly, if you go back in my story, I never really wanted to be a Christian or part of the church. I definitely didn't want to plant a church. Um, and so I called Paul from Colorado and I said, Paul, could you tell me why I should not come and plant a church and why I should not come back to Wilmington? And, uh, I wanted him to talk me out of it. And Paul said something very clear. And that's what I appreciate about Paul. I think he's a clear leader and a clear preacher. He said, Nate, if you come back to Wilmington and you promise to, uh, preach the gospel, to disciple people and actually stay around, I don't think you can have too many churches like that in any community. I think he's right. And I think this is one of those churches. And so I really, I don't take this lightly. I know that when you offer your pulpit up to an outsider, it's a big deal. Uh, and, I, and I am very grateful for that. Um, I'm going to jump right in and I'm going to make a statement that you don't have to necessarily agree with. It's just something that, that I have found to, um, to believe over the at least last five years. And it's this. I think there is immense confusion in the Christian church, especially in America. I think there's a lot of confusion right now amongst Christians in our culture. Would you agree with that? I see it all the time. And I would say there's a special um, confusion when it comes to what we mean by the church and understanding of, of what it means to be the church. We throw that word around a lot, but, but what does that mean? And so as a pastor, here's some of the things people say to me. Maybe you've said these things or heard these things, and you'll hear more about my story that I've said these things and heard these things. But on any given week, someone will say, the church is alive. The church is dead. The church is so gracious. She's judgmental. The church is trying way too hard to be cool. The church is archaic. The church is so effective in our community. The church is so ineffective in our community. Last week, someone said to me, the church to me looks like a spiritual country club. And others have said that the church is Christ's agent of transformation, Christ's agent of, of hope. Uh, some would say the church has been stingy. Others would say the church is generous. I mean, just recently, I was listening to some comments where people were saying, why doesn't the church, why don't the people of God say something? Why don't they do something? 
And then after that, I heard, why did they say that? Why did the church do that? And so when I think about all these comments I hear about the church, I think there's a lot of confusion. And guess where I think a lot of confusion resides? In the church. Now, I have friends who don't go to church and make these statements, and I will listen to them as a leader, as a pastor, as a Christian. But I see as a pastor in my own church, there's confusion about what this thing is. Uh, What are we called to do? What are we called to be about? Um, For instance, one of the things I think about is as a kid, did you learn that little hand thingy about the church? You with me? The church, here's the building. No, no, wait, here's the church, here's the steeple. Open it up, and there's the people. And you wiggled around, there's the people, they're all alive. But if you think about that, even that is a little off. Because this, what is this? This is the church? No, this is a building. This is a steeple. Steeples are optional. You don't have to. It could be helpful like in Charleston to see where the churches are from a long way away. Or it can get blown off in a hurricane. But then, this is the church. This is the building. This is steeple, optional. This is the church. Right? And so without the building, can you still be the church? Yes. And I know we know that, but sometimes I think we forget those things. Because even here's some of the things we say. Um, Pete, where do you go to church? Pete would say, I go to Christ's community. If you went to the Apostle Paul and you said, hey, man, I go to that church. He'd be, what, what? What are you talking? You go where? But even in our language, if you think about it, we go to this building on this street at this place. And Paul would say more of an understanding of, no, we are the church. We belong to the church. You be the church. You don't just drive to a certain place for one hour a week. And all those things kind of add up to our view of church, maybe a skewed view of church. And for me, if I told you just my testimony, my faith, it has everything to do with the church. My father is a Presbyterian pastor. I wanted nothing to do with that, with the church. I didn't like having to go to youth group or ring the bells and wear a row. I mean, I did all these things. You know, and by the way, if you have like a children's sermon and no kids come forward, guess who has to come forward? right? The preacher's kid. I'm scarred deeply from all those things. And now I am, like my father, an ordained Presbyterian pastor. I'm like, ugh, God's humor. But to be honest, like, I just saw church as just a thing we did a lot, a lot, Wednesdays, Sundays, all the time, because I didn't get this thing of what it meant to be the church, this idea it's who we are, not just things we occasionally show up and do. And so my story is one of moving from really hating the church to loving the church, to understanding a scriptural view of the church, to wanting to give my whole life for the church and to the church. And that shifted when I met a guy named Hunter Hall who every week would show up in a fraternity house, a nasty one at the University of Arkansas to build relationships with young guys who could care less about Jesus or the church. And he showed me what it looked like for the church to get out of its four walls and to get into the world with the hope and truth of Jesus Christ. And that changed everything for me about the church. Um, that I would actually go as far as to say, I love to call myself a churchman. And isn't that nerdy? Like I'm nerding out on this church thing. But that's how I describe myself. And, and I, I believe in the church so much because this is what I believe. That the church is the primary tool that God has used in his hand historically, and I would say currently, to reconcile all things into right relationship to himself. 
Right? That's why when you say you're a part of the church, we participate in this kingdom thing called reconciliation where all things will be brought into right reconciliation with the Lord. How it was meant to be. That's what we do. That's the church. And that is something I want to give my life to. That's something I want to participate in and not just show up every now and again. Amen? Do you guys say amen at this church? Just wondering. Mine doesn't. I have to coach them a little bit on them. Okay, I want to back up to what David read in this really kind of interesting section of Scripture. So here's what Paul's doing. He's addressing confusion in the church. There's confusion now, and there was confusion then. And it's really, I think, a low moment of the church, the the Corinthian church that Paul addresses. It's this low moment. And what he's about to do is he gives truth, clarity to the confusion. Then, and I would say now for us, it's been very encouraging to me. Okay, verse 17, I'm going to read it in a bit different translation, but just one verse. I don't know if you caught this when David read it. It kind of makes me giggle because I can't imagine Paul saying this in my church. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Well, Paul, someone woke up on the wrong side of the tent, like, geez, think about that. They do... Your gathering, your, when you get together, guess what you're doing? You're doing more harm than good is what Paul is saying. So before that, earlier in chapter 11, he's giving them praises, building them up, and then he gets real straight with them. Listen, I heard about how y'all do church. It's bad. It's dysfunctional. And so Paul starts talking and addressing these things that are dysfunctional. And what's he addressing? Divisions. If you read Paul and all through the epistles, Paul's all about the unity of Christ, the body of Christ, and he's seen the opposite. He's seen division. So what's going on? They are royally messing up communion. That's the big issue that he's addressing. So one of the things, if you think about the early church, uh, they met often in houses, and this gathering is probably more like a potluck supper where people would bring, you know, covered dish and bring all kinds of things to the, you know, green bean casserole and whatnot to the gathering. And as they gathered, people were physically full, but they also, it was worship. They would celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Um, And what was happening was some people were getting full, eating way too much, and others were going away with nothing. Some people were getting no wine. Other people were getting drunk. Church. Some people would take their food from the potluck line and go sit on that side because they didn't want to associate with those people. And in those churches, in the Corinthian church, there's people who are wealthy and not wealthy, uneducated, educated, maybe different colors of skin. I mean, all different backgrounds. And as Paul hears about them, they're all sitting in their own, like a middle school lunchroom, you know, where everyone's kind of in their own little clique. And that's what Paul starts to address. And here's what I think he's saying. I read it in scripture. I think he's saying you're humiliating the poor. By the way you gather and do church, You're humiliating the poor. I think Paul's saying you're making a joke of the church. And and it's confusing. And so this is, I'm not, you know, doing this to you. I'm I'm talking to myself as well in my church. I'm thinking sometimes the way we do church can be confusing to people because they're saying, wait a second, the way you all act and talk as the church doesn't look so much like Jesus. And that's confusing to people. And if we're honest, there are people you work with or in your neighborhoods or in my neighborhood that exactly have this view. They look at the church, they look at Christians, they look at our lives and what they know of Christ, and for some of them, they're confused. And I would say for some of them, rightly so, as they, as they look at the church. Now, 
Here's what Paul is addressing, all these things. And so he's going to bring uh, clarity to this confusion. And what does he use? He uses the Lord's Supper. So to help them understand what they're messing up, he's going to use the Lord's Supper to get to the heart of the issue. And if you look at verse 24 and 25, actually going back to to verse 23, these are the words that every time at my church we celebrate communion that I recite, right? Uh, and many of you hear, have heard this, this section of Scripture. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And then as he carries on and he's with those disciples, he talks about picking up this cup. And the phrase he uses about the cup, I want us to lock in on this morning. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, we're going to park on this covenant word. Such a great biblical word, probably misunderstood quite a bit. But covenant is just an agreement. It's not a contract. Those are different. Covenant is an agreement that God has with his people. And some would say like a partnership. Like a partnership we might have with God, but, but it's deeply relational. And by the way, in a covenant, God never breaks covenants, but people often break covenants. And God even gets into covenants with people knowing that people like us might even break them. Okay, that's a different sermon. But covenant is how God relates to his children. Read the Old Testament. This is how God relates to people. Covenant. So if you think about Noah, Abraham, Israel, David, that's how God relates. It's a covenantal relationship. And so in the Old Covenant, you would go to the priest with your sacrifice, right? So for you you all, you'd go to Paul with your pigeon, and you would make a sacrifice, and then you could approach or access God. And something changes in the new covenant. In the new covenant, there's this new agreement. There's this new arrangement, and it's based solely on on Jesus Christ. Right? Through the death and resurrection, the, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so here's why a communion is so important. I keep pointing at the table because I because it's a communion table. But when we come forward and receive communion, what are you doing? You're renewing your commitment or agreement with God, right? You're, you're, um, you're praying and thinking about the commitment you have because you know the commitment he has to the church and to us. And so you're renewing that covenant or that commitment to God. That's what happens as you come forward. Okay, I'm going to pause for a second. Um, what in the world does all this have to do with the church? You thought I was talking about the church, and I just went on this tangent about communion and covenant. It has everything to do with the church, and here's why. Because our covenant relationship, if you think about it like from a vertical level between us and God, it, it comes through us, and it becomes horizontal. A covenant is both vertical and horizontal, and here's what I mean by that. Paul's essentially saying that the Corinthian church, they were not connected and not loving one another and not belonging to one another. They were disconnected horizontally because they were disconnected vertically. And when we're disconnected vertically and don't understand the covenant we have with Christ in and through Christ, we become disconnected. Why would we care for the poor? Why would we care someone for someone who's hurting? Why would we spend all this time for a neighbor that kind of drives me nuts? Why would we do all those things? And then we start to talk that way when we're disconnected. And I can tell you clear as day, that when I feel disconnected from Jesus, I'm real disconnected from the, not only the people in my church, but my family, my neighbors, on and on and on. Is anyone else like that? 
And so Paul's addressing this disconnection that he sees in the Corinthian church. Now look at Abraham's covenant, right? It was blessed to be a blessing, vertical, horizontal. Abraham, you've been blessed to be a blessing. And this is really the Christian life, that we remember this covenant from God and then we live it out with other people, right? We do it in in community. And so why is Paul, why is Paul so upset with this group of people, with this church? I think essentially because they weren't being a blessing. That he could say, church, wake up. I've blessed you. Look what I've given you. Not only to the Corinthian church, but to Christ community church, to Hope church. Look how much God has blessed us. Are you a blessing? Is, Is it vertical and horizontal? Because this new covenant that we read about in here, this new covenant should shape how we do community. That, that because of the sacrifice of Christ, the atoning sacrifice and love of Jesus Christ, that should shape how we do church, how we do this in this place and in any church that gathers in this community. And so one of the big ideas is this, and, and maybe you know this and maybe you don't, but the church, if all these confusing things, the church is a covenant people is a covenant community. That's what the church is, both vertical and horizontal. Um, I put one of these quotes uh, on this bulletin, but N.T. Wright said this, and it's just simple and helpful. But he said, the church is foremost a community, a collection of people who belong to one another because they belong to God. Belonging, belonging, belonging. With me? So any criticism we have about the church today, this is my opinion, I think we have to go back to this very foundational idea that we are a covenant, we have a covenant with God, and we have a covenant with one another. It's, it's, it's kind of like the, the foundational theology that we have to understand. And then what Paul does, which I'm very helpful for, is or thankful for, is he keeps painting pictures of the church. So for some of us, we're like, uh, I'm not so sure still, the whole covenant thing, I don't quite get it. And then Paul does the three B's. He, he does these three things for us that help us understand covenant community. Probably most famous, the body of Christ. Great picture of the church. Second, the building of Christ or the temple of Christ. And third, one of my favorites recently, the bride of Christ. Let's back up for a second. The body of Christ. What a great image. I think it's one of Paul's best images. It would be like a TED talk today that people would watch over and over again because it really helped people understand the church, that each of us plays a role. Every person in this room, I don't care if you're in junior high or a senior citizen, you are part of the body of Christ, and each body part plays a role. But what Paul emphasizes is what? The head. That Christ, Jesus Christ, must always be the head of the body. Now, think about my body. How good would my body function if I didn't have a head? Not so well. I remember an African missionary came to me one time. He said, do you know what you call a body without a head? I said, I don't know. He said, a corpse. Ugh. He said, that's what the church is like when Christ is not the head. It's a beautiful image, and it's a serious image for us as the church. And then the building of Christ. We just sang the song Cornerstone, that, that Christ is the cornerstone, and that we are the living stones, and another example that we're connected, just like the body of Christ. Each of us are connected But the cornerstone must always be Jesus. And then there's the bride of Christ. And if you've read the book of Revelation, you see in chapter 21 and 19, all these images of this wedding feast. And the church is called the bride or the wife of the lamb of Jesus. 
In Ephesians 5, if you've been to any Christian wedding, you've heard Ephesians 5. Or if you've been in premarital counseling, you've heard Ephesians 5, where Paul kind of mishmashes a marriage and then a relationship, Christ's relationship with the church. And he talks about this bride. I remember like when the doors, and my wife Kim came down the middle of the church, and I remember looking, and not a wrinkle, not a stain, radiant. That's the picture of the church that Paul paints that we see in the book of Revelation. Okay, here's the elephant in the room, and it might not be an elephant in this church, maybe, but I'm telling you, it's an elephant with my, my neighbors and folks that I spend time with, that the bride of Christ has stains on her dress, that the bride of Christ is a little wrinkly, that the bride of Christ is, is not as radiant as she is supposed to be. And this is clearly what Paul see, uh, is talking about in 1 Corinthians 11. The bride of Christ, which he died for, called, is not acting like the bride of Christ. They're divided. They're all in their own corners doing their own thing. And at times, if I look back and I put on kind of the lens when I was not a fan of Jesus and not a fan of the church, I would say in some ways I would be very skeptical of the church and say she acted more like Bridezilla than the bride of Christ. Do you know there's a TV show called Bridezilla? By the way, if you're a bride, you never want to show up on that show. It's not a good thing. But then in other ways, I think you can look at our culture and our world and say that the bride of Christ kind of missed her own wedding, didn't show up, that we're so afraid of the world and that we kind of get back in our holy huddles and we don't want to engage because we don't want to become like them. And I think those are some of the elephants in the room we have to talk about. I, I have a statement. I, I'll read a different one that's a little less uh, salty. But Dorothy Day said this, and for me, it was very helpful when I was in college and trying to navigate this whole church and Jesus thing. But she said, the church may be a harlot at times, but she's my mother. The church may be a harlot at times, but she's my mother. I would say this, friends. I would say it's healthy to identify the stains on the dress of the body of Christ, us. Um, that some people, I, I have a friend who's like, I can't believe in scripture and I can't follow God because of the crusades. And what happened in the Crusades? And other people will talk about the abuse in the church and the abuse of power and the abuse of people and the abuse of money. And it's true. It's, it's true. It has happened, and I don't think we should hide behind those things. I actually think that Jesus spoke against that, those abuses, and I think we should too. I think when the body of Christ does not, or the bride of Christ does not act like the bride of Christ, I think we should call it out. I think we should be honest about it and address it. So how does the church lose her way sometimes? When she forgets the covenant relationship. When, when she forgets that Christ is the head. When she forgets that Christ is the cornerstone. When we forget that Christ is the groom. That's where the church gets in all kinds of trouble. So if you look right now in American Christianity, when a church does things that are just crazy, to me I would say there's just a clear disconnection between the head and the body. Do you see that? Um, now, some of you are thinking, what a Debbie Downer. Paul asked this guy to come preach, and he's just made all these criticisms about the church. Go back to the beginning. I love the church. I'm giving my life for the church. But I want to talk honestly about the church. And here's the other side of it that's just as true. God is still preparing the bride. God is not finished with us. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with me. Wrinkles are real. But so is God's grace and mercy as he's preparing his bride to be radiant. 
And so if, if you think about this, it was the church in Acts 1 and Acts 2 at Pentecost that was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do we need to be connected and filled with the Holy Spirit? Because the mission the church has been called to requires God's power and God's guidance. If we really are going to be a witness in this world, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, we're going to require the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would say this, I really have great hope for the church. I promise you I do. Maybe the first half of the sermon didn't sound like it. I really have great hope for the church as long as she stays connected, connected to the head and connected to the Holy Spirit, fueled by the Holy Spirit. A few thoughts I've had over the last several weeks because I've been actually reading from beginning to end trying to kind of re-understand what it means to be a part of the church. And this whole covenant idea is at the base of it. And one of the things I want to remind you all is a covenant is not and never based on feelings. Now, when I stood before the church and I married my wife, it wasn't this church, but um, when I married my wife and this is this marital covenant that we made to one another, Um, I had a lot of feelings that day, but we've been married for a while, not a super long time, but I can tell you that my marriage does not sustain on feelings. What happens if a marriage is only feelings? Yeah, I don't feel like, no, I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel, you know, if it's all about feelings, no one's going to do anything. Everyone's going to do what they want. It's going to be a train wreck. And it's when we go on a feelings-based covenant, our, our relationships are like this. I don't feel like loving you. I don't feel like doing it. And the same with the church. I don't feel like being a part of the church. I don't feel like giving. I don't feel like worshiping. And as we do this thing, to me, what that often leads to is consumerism. Even in a marriage, you should do this. I don't, why don't you do that? I like this better. And then you come to church. Well, color of your carpet. Not so sure. Chairs aren't so comfortable. <laughs> you should do two less songs. You know, why does he preach so long? Do you, and you all are laughing, but pastors hear this stuff all the time. Right? We preach our guts out, and it's like, uh, your beard needs to be shaved. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Did you hear anything about Jesus? Um, but that's what happens. We, we get into this consumerism type thing. And then the next one, which I think is actually more dangerous, but in our culture, it doesn't sound dangerous because it's a real value in our culture, is convenience. Like, I made the dangerous idea of starting our new church and saying, hey, everybody, what do you all think about what time we should meet for worship? That was great leadership. On um, That's like when I'm in a car with my family. Like, where should we eat? Always four people, four different answers. And so we've placed this idea, like, let's make it all convenient for us. So my kids, don't, they don't like, could you move it to 15? And we do all these things because we want church to be convenient. And I'm not trying to step on toes because I, I need to hear this myself. I have my own opinions that need to be checked. But the gospel is not about convenience. Following Jesus you can't balance following Christ and trying to make everything convenient and so it fits our consumable needs. And there's always kind of a battle that we run against when it comes to our understanding of the church. And here's just a great reminder. Our partnership with God, our covenant with God, and our covenant with one another here at this church is deeper than all those things. You know, I had someone come up to me at our church and they said, look, if you all decide to meet at two in the morning, we'll be there. And I thought they were kidding, but I got what the person was saying. It doesn't matter what time it is. We are the church. Let's get together. Let's gather. Let's worship. And I appreciated that because it's, our, our relationship is deeper than consumerism and deeper than convenience. It's built on the promises, the covenant of God, and the new covenant of Jesus Christ that shapes how we do church. Amen?
Second thought was this, and this was helpful to me, that covenant increases freedom. Covenant increases freedom. Now, when I first hear that, I think, oh, I don't know. You know, you'll hear people, hear people talk about marriage, and they'll refer to their spouse as the old ball and chain. What a horrible picture of the covenant of marriage. Marriage should bring freedom to both. Covenant relationship in a church should bring freedom. And here's what I mean by that. It's, it's not supposed to be ball and chain. It's supposed to be the opposite. So for instance, this is all Paul. Galatians 6, Paul's saying that a covenant community is the one that carries burdens. Now, when you all really know each other, when a church really knows one another, doesn't just show up, but actually invests, then you start to carry burdens. Have you ever had someone carry a burden for you and carry it to Jesus, carry it to the Lord? It gives you freedom. You experience freedom when other people walk with you. It's a merciful act when people carry some of the burdens you all are carrying and they carry them to Christ. In Hebrews 10, Paul gives another great directive. He says, you're supposed to spur one another. I don't know what that looks like, but I always think about <laughs> What are you supposed to spur one another towards? Towards works and love and faith. That I don't care how long you've been coming to this church. I, as a pastor, I need encouragement too in the faith. I need people to carry some of my burdens. So does David. So does Paul. So do all the people in this church. And we need people to... Spur us towards love, towards doing the acts that Christ has called us to do. We need people to point us towards Jesus. That's the role of the church. And I promise you right now, guaranteed, there's someone in your neighborhood, someone at your school, someone at your work, someone in your family who needs you to carry burdens, someone in this church, to carry burdens to Jesus, to spur them on in faith, encourage them in the faith, and to keep pointing to Christ, even when people are experiencing the deep, dark moment of the soul. That's what the church is called to be. You know, I get asked a lot, uh, especially in youth ministry days, but I still get asked this because of so much criticism about the church. People say, hey, Nate, can you be a Christian and not go to church? Have you heard that one? People say, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. Can you be a Christian? What would you say to that? Can you be a Christian and not be a part of the people of God? What would you say to someone who would ask you that? Here's always been my answer. Can you be a Christian and not be a part of the body? And my answer is always yes, but not for long. And here's what I mean by that. Like if you look at a fireplace and when a coal gets out of a fireplace and it's sitting on the floor, don't pick up that coal, it's still hot. It's fresh out of the fire. But what happens to that coal when it's by itself for too long, it turns cold. Because if the church is functioning how she's called to function, there's Holy Spirit fire. There's that we reflect when we're together the love and mercy and truth and light of Jesus Christ. And so I don't think you can be a Christian for very long outside of the community. There's nowhere in this Bible that talks about being a lone ranger for Jesus. Eugene Peterson says, in the Christian family, in the Christian life, there's no only child. Isn't that a great image? You're not an only child in the church or in the people of God. You're part of this family that carries burdens, spurs one another on, and points people to Jesus. And we need people who are doing that. 
Um, one of my favorite non-scriptural images of the church, I'm going to leave you with this. It's, it's my, it helps me so much, and I pray it helps you. But um, do you think that the church, Big C, is more like a birdcage or a birdbath? Think about it for a second. <laughs> Should the church be more like a birdcage or a birdbath? Birdcage. You have a certain cage, you pick the certain birds, usually pretty birds, and you give them all the things they need in that cage to sharpen their beaks and their special dietary needs. You give them a mirror to look at themselves (laughs) to see how pretty they are, and then you shut the door. Now, some people think that's what the church looks like. I actually think Paul was addressing that in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, that you all were shutting the door and pretty birds over here and... And that's what we've called the church. And there are people I know who do love Jesus and have been hurt by the church and they say, it's just a birdcage. Real confusing. Now, the birdbath. Does anyone have a birdbath? Right. I have a birdbath. My wife can't stand it. Um, I, I've gotten into, in my older age, I've gotten into uh, feeding birds and things like that. And I love to look out. And the birdbath is my favorite. Here's why it's my favorite. Who comes to the birdbath? Everybody. Right? So on my bird bath, there's pretty birds, not so pretty birds, um, big old birds, little birds, uh, raccoons, squirrels, you know, narwhals. Everything comes, you know, everything comes to, to my bird bath. And I love it because you don't know. I know who's coming to my hummingbird feeder, right? Just hummingbirds. I don't know who's coming to the, to the bird bath. And what I love about it, I look out there and it's just everybody has come. For one reason, to get the living water. They need water to live. It's a true picture of the church. We're gathered around the living water. That's what we all need in this room. But guess what else is on the birdbath? Deposits. (laughs) Lots of deposits. Especially my birdbath. I don't like to clean it. I like to keep it natural. (laughs) But is that a picture of the church? It is. The church can be messy. Paul walked into a messy example of the church. But here's what I want you to remember. He's not finished with us yet. He's not done with the church in Wilmington, North Carolina. He's still preparing his bride so that she would continue to function as a primary tool in his hand to reconcile all things and all people into right relationship with him. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that this would, in the truest sense of the word amen, it would be so. It would be true. Lord, in all honesty, when we think of some of the criticisms of the, the body of believers that we are guilty, that we have participated in some of these things that confuse people, and, and the worst thing they do is confuse people about Jesus. So we confess to that, but we also want to participate in this beautiful body, this bride in a way that's connectional, that we know that we belong to you. And because we belong to you, we belong to one another. That God, because of your love, it brings us into contact with all kinds of people that maybe the world says we shouldn't be in contact with. And it's your Holy Spirit that fuels us, guides us, empowers us to be a change agent in this city and beyond. Lord God, we, we want to be your bride. We want to be radiant. Lead us, guide us, fill us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.
Christ community, it's been an honor to worship with you all this morning. And I want you to receive the benediction as you walk out these doors. Remember this, that you are the bride of Christ, the living stones, the body of Christ, the reflection of Jesus Christ. And as you walk out these doors, my prayer, whatever you do this week, wherever you go, that you might be the aroma of Christ, that people might smell Jesus on you by the way you live. And in that, that all things would be reconciled unto him. Amen? Go and serve the Lord.